Our scripture this morning is Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to ask Jolia to read it in Spanish, and then I'll read it in English. Jonas, capítulo 3. La palabra del Señor vino por segunda vez a Jonas. Anda, ve a la gran ciudad de Nínive, y proclámale el mensaje que te voy a dar. Jonás se fue hacia Nínive. Confirmé al mandato del Señor. Ahora bien, Nínive era una ciudad grande y de mucha importancia. Jonás se fue internando en la ciudad y la recorrió todo un día mientras proclamaba. Dentro de cuarenta días, Nínive será destruida. Y los ninivitas le creyeron a Dios, proclamaron ayuno, y desde el mayor hasta el menor se visitaron de luto en señal de arrepentimiento. Cuando el rey de Nínive se enteró del mensaje, se levantó de, tu, de su trono, se quitó su manto real, hizo duelo y se cubrió de ceniza. Luego mandó que se pregonara en Nínive por decreto del rey y de su corte. Ninguna persona o animal, ni ganado lanar o vacuno, probará alimento alguno, ni tampoco pasará ni beberá agua. Al contrario, el rey ordena que toda persona, junto con sus animales, haga duelo y clame, y clame a Dios con todas sus fuerzas. Ordena a sí mismo que cada uno se convertía convierta de su mal camino y de sus hechos violentos. ¿Quién sabe? Tal vez Dios cambie de parecer y aplaque el odor de su ira y no perezcamos. Al ver Dios lo que hicieron, es decir, que se habían convertido de su mal camino, cambió de parecer y no llevó a cabo la destrucción que les había anunciado. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give, give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. It's the word of the Lord.
Amen. Let the church say amen. amen. Come on, let the church say amen again. Amen. And because I'm from the Bay Area, everybody say what's up. No, that didn't land too well, but that's all good. What's up, y'all? Peace. It's good to be back in the house. Um, all the way from, uh, I live in Oakland, but I'm originally from San Francisco. Um, my, my family in Oakland tells me that uh, I'm a refugee in the city of Oakland because <laughs> you... You, you can't be black and own property, say amen, in, in the city of San Francisco anymore. But we're still working on that, amen. I know as you all are here, it's good to be back uh, in the room with um, everyone and to get a chance to hang out in my favorite second city in the United States, which is Washington, D.C. So good to be back with uh, the family, Delonte and Claire, and get a chance to be with them and, and hang out with baby Goldston, uh, who taught me and discipled me in the ways of the iPad during worship uh, service. So she helped me recognize my iPad, do things I didn't even know it did. Amen. So there's a deep anointing she's got. And uh, I was I was amazed. And then she almost locked me out of the iPad. And I, I realized she kept hitting. I, I thought I was wiser than her in the ways of the iPad. And so I thought, well, if I lock it, then I'll keep her out. And then I realized she kept punching in that combo, and then she locked me out of the iPad. But praise God, it, it let me back in within a few minutes. And she kind of she looked up at me when I realized I couldn't get in it, and she looked at me and kind of winked at me a little bit and went on around the corner, amen. So it's good. I'm so glad it opened back up. Um, or else I was going to have her preach instead of me, amen. She might have had something deeper to say. So we, we thank God anyway. Um, bow your heads with me. Let me just say one more word of prayers is my custom and we'll jump right here into the word. Oh God, we give you thanks because your mercy truly does endure forever. As the scripture says, if it had not been for you who was on our side, we would have been swallowed up by our enemies. But we are thankful to you, Jesus, who has given us the victory through your sacrifice. And so, Lord, as I take these few minutes and speak from the words that you have given us, Lord, my prayer is that you would remove me, my ego, my sense of what it is that I want to convey and cause us to hear your spirit speaking to us what you want us to hear today. And we will be careful to give your name all of the praise, the glory, and the honor. And all of God's people say amen. Come on, say amen again. Now, listen, I don't know how y'all do it here, but I'm a black preacher from the Bay, so that means over the next 25 to 30 minutes, you're going to talk to each other and you're going to talk to me. Somebody say amen. amen. Or we could just be here for two hours. I'm just, I'm just serious. Amen, right? But, and and I'm, I'm thankful that they went and found the, the younger, thinner picture of myself. Amen. You got to love that when you take pictures at a certain point in your life. And then at a certain point, you look at it and, you're, and it becomes a little discouraging. Amen. But... I'm praying that I will get hope from that picture today and it'll invite me to say no to some of the things I've been saying yes to. Amen. I'm going to be talking today from the subject love, mercy, love, mercy. You know, I recognize like you all know that we are living in a very uh, interesting and different moment uh, in our lives and in the story of this country. Uh, some of the sociologists and anthropologists have said that this moment that we're living in is um, one of the most uh, challenging moments, one of the most divisive moments that we have been in since the time of the Civil War. 
Um, many have said that we are living in a generational changing time, that the decisions that are made over the next 10 years will anchor what happens over the next 100. Look at the person next to you and say, no pressure. But we are living in one of those times that is calling on us to think about what it means for us as people who are seeking to follow Jesus in the ways that we're trying to follow Jesus, to think about what is our witness? What is God calling on us to do in this time, in the moments that we're living in, to be faithful to the story that God wants to create? You do know, and I think it's important for us to continue to hold up Um, not in a supremacist way, but I think in an authentic way, that it has been people following Jesus over the last 250 plus years in this country that have saved it from itself. I want you just to think that if it had not been for uh, those uh, African enslaved people who took a message offered to them by their enslavers, mixed it down with some powerful, deep spirituality, and actually created a kind of Christianity that could help to save the soul of this nation. If it hadn't been for some of our white relatives who were following Jesus, who abandoned the kind of colonial understanding of Jesus and leaned into the ideas of being of abolition and and freeing enslaved folks. If it hadn't been not just for a civil rights activist, but for a pastor named Dr. King, somebody say amen. You know, I'm oftentimes, you know, I live in the Bay Area where everybody believes they're just so liberal. You know, everybody's out there hugging trees and, you know what I'm saying, we, you know, they, they're hugging trees and, and even the dogs are eating vegan food, amen. But we got 6,000 homeless people living underneath the freeways amidst all this liberalism, right? And they love to caricature Dr. King as just some kind of a Marxist, um, uh, you know, liberal... Uh, activists, and that's fine. I ain't messing with none of your Marxism or your liberalism or any of that. Some of y'all about to leave me just because I got a, I said, Marxism, what y'all say about Marx? I'm not messing with you. Hey, man, I know we all got a lot of philosophies, right? But I'm oftentimes trying to remind them that Dr. King was a pastor, that he stepped forward, not necessarily because he was so woke, as it were, but he stepped forward because he actually arrived in Montgomery, Alabama, to, to uh, follow the real radical preacher who was the pastor at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Dr. Vernon Johns, they hired Dr. King to come in so that they could have a more moderate pastor because Vernon Johns was too radical. And Dr. King came in, a little nice, you know, dressed up schoolboy from Boston, Massachusetts, with his new doctorate, amen, I know we all very smart, we got more degrees in the thermometer, amen. He showed up in Montgomery with, with all of his knowledge and his academia, ready to just pastor the church, and the plan was only to stay in Montgomery for two to three years, where then he would leverage that church to go on and get the real big church, hopefully somewhere in a bigger city, somewhere in the south. But if it hadn't been for some black women that was in his congregation, who, when Rosa Parks decided that she was not going to get up from the bus, it was the black women in Dexter Avenue Baptist Church who actually went to a young Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and said, listen, we have actually already organized a boycott of the bus system 
on one day, and we're asking you to be our spokesperson for the Montgomery Improvement Association of Montgomery, Alabama. And it's from that place that Dr. King said yes in that moment to what black women in the congregation were asking him to do, that we now, because of that witness, have are living in a reality where we physically get to sit in a congregation across race and across difference. Somebody say amen. So what I want us to hold in this moment is that while we are living in a moment that we have not seen since those days, the question is not what did they do in their moment, but the question is what is God calling us to do in our moment? I say to folks, we may not have another king, but I believe that God does want us to have thousands of princes, princesses, and royal relatives who hear the word of the Lord in our moment and do what God is calling us to do to be faithful. Joseph, Joseph, I'm, well, my middle name is Joseph. I'm not preaching about Joseph. Is that a word, Lord? No, it's not. It's said the wrong name. Jonah <laughs> found himself also in a moment where he also had to understand what it meant for him to be true to what God is and was asking of him to do. I know you all have been talking about Jonah over the last couple of weeks. I got a chance to listen to the message that um, uh, Pastor Delante preached last week, and he preached about 60% of my points, so I'm just going to give you all the other 40%. Amen. That's what I get for listening to your message at the end of the week instead of the beginning, praise God. I'm, I'm going to try to rock on some of the other 40% of what he left on the bone. But I think when we think about Jonah, you know, there's, you know, we, we've heard the story of, of Jonah running away from God asking Jonah to do something and Jonah finding himself in some, some challenging situations and moments. And I think there's something for us to hold um, about ourselves when we think about Jonah because God also is asking some things of us in this moment. Some of the challenging things that we find in life is, what do you do when God is calling you to do something that you actually don't want to do? Or what do you do when God is calling you to go where it is that you don't want to go? Or what do you do when God is actually asking you to see people as people that you really don't want to see as people? You know, and I think sometimes one of the challenges we've got to face, particularly those of us who find ourselves with a strong orientation towards justice, is we can sometimes, even with all of our passion, develop a smaller circle of human concern than what the gospel of Jesus Christ would call us to have. Because to follow Jesus is to lean into the very idea of enemy love. I wish I had a witness at Peace Fellowship. I know we love to turn Jesus into this cat that's just a far left radical. You know, I like to preach about that Jesus too. And he just show up and turn up and shut down freeways and woo woo. But he did all of that. And he loved his enemy. And there's no way that we can say we follow Jesus if we're not going to follow the example of the one who is a crucified individual by the empire, yet in that moment still offering love for the very people who are seeking to oppress him. Now listen, this is a hard message for me to preach because I am a six foot one, 320 pound black person that has to deal with the realities of what's happening on the street. But yet Jesus is calling us to think about what does it mean to follow him? You see, when we don't follow the call of God, we find ourselves like Jonah running away 
You know, when you start running away from, from what you're wrestling with, you know, we, whether God was calling Jonah to, to go and, and prophesy doom to, to Nineveh with all of his, you know, supremacist ways that Jonah had about him and all of his imperial ways or whether God was telling him to go and prophesy a word of judgment, but an opportunity for mercy. We'll never know because Jonah got to write the letter. Amen. Right. He, he wrote the story down. Y'all know we love to tell the story we want people to know after it's all said and done, praise God, right? We don't know exactly what was all in the middle of that, but we know that when Jonah tried to run from what God told Jonah to do, just like us, when we run from God, we have a tendency to create drama. You ever ran from God and created some drama in your life? And isn't it interesting that when you start creating drama in your life and you keep running from God, you start creating drama in other people's lives? Right. And then your drama becomes a collective drama. Right. And the next thing you know, whether you jumping off the ship or people are throwing you off the ship, you end up getting swallowed up by your drama. But the thing that I love is that even in the middle of all of that drama that we can experience, there is mercy for you. Look at the person next to you and say mercy for you. There is mercy for you. I'm so glad that God is a God of mercy. In times like this, and when we are struggling with our call and with what God wants in our lives, we need some mercy from God. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. It's brother Eugene Peterson's words. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. Ooh, that's tough. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, somebody say instead. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. God has mercy for you. I think it's important for us in this moment to not allow ourselves, as our sister was talking about, we can oftentimes offer compassion for others, but we need to be able to receive some compassion for ourselves. I'm here to tell you, my friend, there is nothing you can do. There is no place you can go in your life, in your decisions, in your reality where God does not have mercy for you. I don't care where you failed. I don't care where you got it right. There's no place you can go where God does not have mercy for you. I'm so glad that God's got mercy for us. Because if we were to open up all of our closets, praise God, there's some skeletons in there. Amen. I know you all dressed up and your hair is cute today. Right? I don't even have no hair, right? So you know I got some skeletons in mine. Amen. But we all got some skeletons. None of us have done it all right all the time. But God has mercy for you. Now, the challenge that we have when we think about embracing God's mercy for us is if you are going to receive God's mercy for yourself, that means that you also have to admit that you don't get to own the keys of God's mercy. That if God's got mercy for you, then you don't get the opportunity to say who God is going to have mercy on or who God's not going to have mercy on. 
Because if God has mercy on you, that also means that God will have mercy for them. Somebody say mercy for them. Say it again, mercy for them. Now, you know who them is. I only, the only thing I have to do is say the word them, and you got all kind of pictures running through your mind. Right? You know, the challenge with embracing God's mercy is we know that God doesn't just have mercy for us. He has mercy for them. He has mercy for the people we do not like. The people we don't agree with. You know, now I grew up as a, <clears throat> give me that water, Dante. I grew up as a uh, apostolic Pentecostal uh, holiness fundamentalist. Go ahead and put that in your pipe and smoke it. Amen. Um, I know y'all don't smoke. Y'all very um, spiritual people here at Peace Fellowship. Amen. Somebody say mercy for you. Amen. I'm just, I'm just kidding, right? But I grew up as an apostolic Pentecostal holiness fundamentalist, which meant that nobody was going to heaven except the 66 and a half people in my church. Amen. Right? The rest of y'all were just practicing. <laughs> right? It was just the 66 people in my church was going to heaven, and we were glad to tell you about it too, right? <laughs> oh, Lord, I'm so glad for God has mercy, because if y'all would have met Minister Ben McBride at 22, I would go throw that brother up under the car outside. Amen. <laughs> because we loved judgment. We love judgment. I love judgment. I didn't have a lot of mercy. We were happy to tell everybody why they were not in the number. <laughs> and if you hadn't been baptized in Jesus' name, speaking in tongues as a spirit, spirit of God, not, you know, we had a line the way we said it too. Like You had to speak in tongues as the spirit of God gave utterance. In no other place in my life did I use the word utterance. You know, just imagine this. <laughs> imagine this 22-year-old, oversized black dude walking around using the word utterance, right? You know, it's just <laughs> with a, with, with a cross-color jacket on talking about utterance, right? But I, I was framed in this way to embrace judgment and to put everybody who was not like me in hell. Right? Because I think there was a part of me that needed some hell in order to justify the kind of sacrifices I felt I was making in my own life. But one of the things I think that God is trying to push us to is God wants to push us to recognize that when God gives mercy to us, he is not just giving mercy to us. He is also giving mercy to the people who we do not like or agree with. Nineveh. Here God was sending Jonah to carry a message of judgment to Nineveh as the story records for us. And as we get into the story, as our sisters read, they hear the word of Jonah and they decide to repent. And the scripture says that God changed God's mind. Now, you know, when we think about the notion of God changing God's mind, if God can see a people and a city who has been tagged as wicked and God can change God's mind for them, and if we're saying we're going to follow the ways of God, then that means that we also have to be willing to change our mind about people as well. Now, I know this is a hard word. I was typing this out and I cut my finger on my iPad typing it out. It was so sharp. 
Because there are people right now in this world I don't want to give mercy to. Somebody say, man, I'm not by myself. There's somebody you mad at right now you're not trying to give mercy to. Hey, man, you, you want to you wanna get some judgment in your spirit? Just turn on the news right now. Right? There's a lot of people that we could say are not worthy of mercy, but God also has mercy for them. So what do we do when we find ourselves in justifiable situations where it feels judgment is required and God is trying to bring mercy? It's in these moments that I believe that we've got to allow the spirit of love that comes from God to be in our hearts to lead us so that we are not led by the parts of us that are broken. When I think about Jonah, I think about someone who had gone through a lot. You got to realize this is a person in the story who we hear is swallowed up by a great fish taken to the bottom of the ocean before he could even dry off. God is telling him, go back to Nineveh. Have you ever felt like you've been going through some stuff in your life and you don't even feel like you've been able to get your life all the way the way it needs to be and God is still putting pressure on you to go to Nineveh? And sometimes when we get to Nineveh, we just want to shut it down one time. But God is also calling us to be led by love. There's this quote from from love that says that pain shows us and gives us proof that we are alive, but love reminds us why. We are alive. Theologian brother who gives us that, that we're not alive to just bring about judgment, but we are alive driven by love. Dr. King says power without love is reckless and abusive and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. When I'm in my organizing space, people love to talk about, that's what I'm talking about, Ben. See, love without power is sentimental and anemic. I'm like, yeah, but you, you missed the first sentence that power without love is reckless and abusive. One of the things we have to make sure in this moment because we are growing up shaped in an empire is that we ourselves do not become imperial. That being shaped in a society that that is monstrous, that we ourselves do not become monstrous. We must remember even in the middle of God sending us around that God doesn't just have mercy for us, but God has mercy for them. Now, when God begins to change the mind of those who are around us, we must change our minds about them as well. You see, God is, as Dr. King said, seeking to build the beloved community, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, as some people would say here on earth. God is not causing the circle of concern to become smaller, but God is actually causing the circle of concern to become wider, to include not just you, but even the people you don't like. And so the question is, who is God calling us to become that we might be the people who are seeking not to be bridge breakers, but bridge builders? You see, it takes a lot more power and commitment to build a bridge than it takes to blow one up. And remember, when you are so quickly throwing people out of the circle of human concern and the circle of kingdom concern, that when you're doing it, somebody else is doing it. 
And God is calling us to build a world, a community, a city where everyone can belong. You see, there is a false choice offered to us that the only way we can be safe is to be segregated from people who are different from us. But I believe the spirit of God is seeking to reconcile us together. But it's going to take some of us to recognize that mercy is not just for you, but mercy is also for them. You know, I was talking with a brother in Oakland who was organizing and he said, Ben, I want to push on your whole framework of you, you talking about, you know, everybody belongs. He said, everybody does not belong. You know, these white supremacists, et cetera, et cetera, they do not belong. I said, okay, Ken, what we, let's cut to the chase. What are we going to do with them? We're going to kill them. We're going to go put them in cages. So what are we going to do with them? And if we do that, how will we not be becoming the very thing that we have critiqued over the last 300 years in this country? God is not calling us to become our enemy. God is actually calling us to love our enemy, trusting God, working with God and with one another to create a new and more perfect world. Somebody say mercy for them. In Micah 6, 8, the scripture says, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. But to do justice, somebody say, love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. As I prepare to wrap this up, God's got mercy for you. God's got mercy for them. But then God also has a mercy for us all together being reconciled together. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Oh, this is a hard scripture. Every time I read love your enemies, I break out in a rash on my left knee. Amen. (laughs) I got some hydrocortisone in my bag right now, right? Love your enemies. And then, you know, this is the word from Jesus that doesn't get a clap because nobody likes this one. We skip right over this one. Blessed are they that are peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And then we jump all the way over to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We just jump all the way over, right? But Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. Not, Not just be a peacemaker, but love your enemies. He says, God makes God's son arise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Watch this. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Chip off this. He says, don't even the tax collectors do the same. He says, if you're not going to love the people who it's most difficult to love, You actually are acting the same way as the people who you feel are difficult to love. You see, the tax collectors of their day were, you know what I'm saying, some of the MAGA people of our day, praise God. And if you're a MAGA person, I love you, but I told you I got a rash, and so you pray for me. Amen. (laughs) But Jesus says... You gotta love, and I'm not, we're not talking about a romantic, sentimental type of love. Sometimes that love means that we're gonna have to speak hard truths to one another, but we do so in a way with the potential of God's redeeming mercy to be a part of that transaction. Somebody say mercy for us. To follow Jesus is to follow the call towards enemy love. We must, watch this, This is my quote. We must imagine a future 
That includes those who currently present themselves as enemies to us, even though they are presently seeking to manifest a future that does not include us. I'm going to say it one more time. We must imagine a future that includes those who currently present themselves to us as enemies, even though they are presently manifesting a present that does not include us. To follow Jesus means that we are to participate with the kingdom of God living counterintuitively and counterculturally to create the beloved community. When I first started the violence reduction work in Oakland eight, nine years ago, I sat down with mothers who had lost their sons to gun violence. And I talked to them about the relationship that myself and others were getting deeply involved with, with young men that were shooting other young men in the city. And one of the mothers told us, she said, if you cared about violence, you wouldn't be working with those young men. They crazy MFers is what she said. They need to be thrown underneath the jail. And what I had to recognize in that moment was that she was in a kind of pain that I couldn't understand. And that I had to think about what God was calling me to do to build relationship with her, recognizing there was mercy for her. And I also had to build relationship with the young men who were causing the violence and causing her pain, recognizing there was also mercy for them. And that if there was mercy for her and if there was mercy for him, that God would also have mercy for me and God would give us mercy for one another. This is the work that God is calling us to do. The work of cathedral building. I say often, when you look at some of those cathedrals in Europe, some of those cathedrals were drawn up with 250 year plans. What kind of mind did it take to get up and begin building something you knew you would never step into? But your great grandchildren will. What is God calling us to build in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our community, in our society that we will never get the chance to reap from it, but God is calling us to step into it. Somebody say love mercy. Dr. King was a cathedral thinker and we shan't remember him for the work he did if we are not also going to think about the work that God is calling us to do. How is the word of the Lord? coming to you? How are you receiving God's mercy in your life? And how are you allowing God to expand and to widen the circle of human concern in your own heart? Listen, I'm I'm about to close. Let us, let us keep protesting in the streets. Let's keep shutting it down when it needs to be shut down. But let us also have in us the capacity to love our enemy, to be able to have the imagination for the mercy of God to not just be for those of us who vote a certain way, but yet we don't believe there's any mercy of God for those who are voting the other way. Let us ensure that as we are seeking justice and mercy, that we are becoming justice, peace, and mercy. One of the things I love that Dr. King held in the middle of the racist South was Dr. King refused to stop calling the white racist folks in the South his sisters and brothers. He held on to this notion that we are related to one another. And while some of them may be sick, 
God might bring about some mercy and some change that we might ultimately be reconciled together. Stand on your feet with me. As Jonah found himself running away from God's call on his life, he found himself going through a lot of drama and a lot of challenge. And he got into the city of Nineveh, believing that God was going to bring judgment, but God changed his mind. And if God could change God's mind about Nineveh, then that means that God is calling on us to also be willing to change our mind about ourselves, change our minds about those who we don't like, and change our collective minds that we can all belong to each other. You know, my father grew up in the Jim Crow South. And he met Dr. King when he was 13 years old. He said Dr. King took him and a couple other children and took them and showed them the pipes behind the water fountains for the colored and the white water fountains in the South. And he said, Dr. King showed us the pipes and he said it was the first time that I realized we were actually drinking the same water as each other. You know, I didn't know if we were drinking a a dirtier set of water. And he, he said, we looked at the pipes and he said, it opened up my mind. And he said, we went into the session and he, he trained us about student nonviolence. And my dad said, you know, I, I lived and I was a part of that movement. He said, but later on in his life, the Vietnam war was declared and my dad, you know, he had been telling me all these other stories for years and he finally told me the true story. And my dad got drafted by the United States government to go fight in Vietnam. And he said, you know, I tried to run, I tried to run until they finally caught me and they said, if you don't go to Vietnam, we're going to send one of your younger brothers to Vietnam. My dad said, I went to Vietnam and he said, in Vietnam, we were doing horrible things. The the government told us that the only way for us to be safe was to give ourselves over to the violence of the United States government at the expense of our Vietnamese sisters and brothers. My dad said we would go into these villages and we would do horrible things. And my dad said I was walking to a village one day and he said an older Vietnamese woman came running out to him. And he said for some reason I didn't pull up my gun But she got to me and she said, G.I., G.I. And he said, I lowered my head down. He said, and she whispered in my ear, Martin Luther King, know you here? He said in that moment, my experience of connection to Dr. King in the South met me all the way over in the village in Vietnam. And the bravery of this Vietnamese woman who had every reason to have no mercy and no eyes to see My father saw him in that moment. And my dad said, something clicked for me standing there. That here I was thinking that the only option I had was to be violent to someone else in order to protect myself. And yet the person I was going to be violent to risked their lives in order to redeem my soul. He said, so for the rest of my time in Vietnam, I bartered and bribed my way through doing violence in the village by paying off the other soldiers in the tower with Johnny Walker Red Whiskey until I can get home. I'm not advocating y'all go bribe people with whiskey. 
But what I am lifting up for us is that there is a power, even when we are under great trial and circumstance, there is a mercy that we can carry. There is a mercy that we can give that will redeem not just us, but even those who we see right now as our enemies. So may we allow God to come and cause us to love mercy, that we might become instruments of mercy and grace for a dying and needing world. Bow your heads with me. Oh God, we ask that your mercy comes down upon us in this very moment. Lord, we might be going through some things in our life where we need mercy for what we are dealing with in our own challenges, situations, and circumstances. God, I pray, would you let your mercy come to us in this moment? Lord, you know that there are things going on in our world right now that is pitting person against person across race, across religion, across class, across political orientation. There are too many of our sisters and brothers who have believed a lie that has been given by those in power that they should concede and sign off on the brutality against our loved ones, not just here, but around the world. God, we pray that you would bring mercy to them. Lord, would you move their hearts as you did for the people in Nineveh to repent, to change. And as they do, God, we pray that you would give us the ability to reconcile them back into the family of God. Lord, we desire in this moment not to just simply become caricatures of what's offered to us in this world, to be left, right, middle, to be liberal, conservative, moderate. God, would you make us to be sons and daughters and siblings and relatives, children of the living God. And so, Lord, we ask right now for the Holy Spirit that made everything in this world, would you remake our hearts, remake our imagination, remake our capacity to love, remake our capacity to reconcile, and we will give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor, and all of God's people say amen. Oh, <laughs> 
Don't go. 